page six of your bulletin. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. My joy today to introduce to you uh, our guest preacher for the day, Pastor Tommy Hinson. He's also here joined with his wife, uh, Laura. And uh, Tommy has actually preached at Grace Meridian Hill before, but it was a number of years ago. And in uh, the Dance Institute, which some of you may not even know about, but you saw some pictures of earlier. And a joy to be able to share this morning together with you. And a, a joy in part because... It, you know, these are kingdom partners right down the street. Uh, they lead the Church of the Advent, uh, which was started up just a few years before we here got started up. And always an encouragement to know that just a, a few blocks away, we have another kingdom witness and a faithful community that is growing and thriving in Jesus' name. And, uh, and so I'm excited for you and for us to benefit from uh, Tommy's gifts and faith and love and uh, to benefit from his ministry this morning, uh, but also a joy uh, to share in this partnership here, even in this pulpit. And so I want to invite you, Tommy, to come on forward, and if we could together welcome him, and I'm going to, uh, yeah. yeah. Let me say a word of prayer. Let me say a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you that your word has uh, been, as we've endeavored to make it, at the center of this entire community, the word of your grace and gospel. And thank you that we're not the only pulpit that's been faithful in this regard over these years. And so we thank you for the Church of the Advent and Tommy and Laura's ministry. And we pray your blessing upon them, that you would give them everything they need in Christ, and that you would strengthen and even encourage them by their time here. But I pray your kindness upon Tommy as he brings us your word and that you would bless this time that we would be fed and that Holy Spirit, you would come and even change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for, for letting Laura and I join you. You know, it's a testament. I mean, being a pastor, your five-year anniversary, that would be a time when a lot of pastors would just want to just kind of uh, let it rip from up front, you know, um, and just, I mean, go nuts. And uh, so it's a testament to Duke's humility and his gracious spirit to invite us to kind of share and be a part of this with you. Um, hopefully you know that we, we pray for you down the road when we gather regularly uh, where our whole congregation joins together and prays for this church. And we pray for you all. Um, we pray uh, for those we know and those we don't know. But we pray for your ministry and all that you're doing. Um, being here, I think I've already cried like four times today. I, uh, <laughs> I sort of felt like a, a bit of a wreck coming up here, so I'm trying to kind of get myself together. Um, but your words are so powerful. Oh, praise God for those testimonies. 
Praise God for five years of such an incredible communion. Thank you. We're honored uh, to be here. Um, so we're going to take a few minutes now to, as we've heard the words of God's people, to, to endeavor together to hear the words of God. Um, as we prepare to come and share this meal that unites us, not only with one another, but with Christians around the world, um, we want to take a moment to allow God to speak to us, um, to prepare us for this meal. Um, as I've been here and as I've been praying this week and thinking about how we might do that, um, it's obvious to me that one of the things we have in common is that both of our communities deeply value community. That is so evident here. In the testimonies, and the way you do worship, um, it could be a little more passionate. But other than that, I think the worship music is pretty good. And uh, and but but the, but there's a from the moment you walk in the door, there's a sense of uh, warmth and welcome, and that's such a blessing. And uh, for those of us who value community, I think over the years you come to realize, especially in a church, that that a unified community is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Uh, that in fact, disunity and division uh, seems to come most naturally to us as people. A unified, welcoming, hospitable, loving community is, is supernatural in the sense that it has to come from outside of us. It's not something that we are capable of producing. And one of the things that makes Christian community unique is that we believe that our relationships with one another are shaped by our relationship with God. It's what you might call uh, our cruciform relationships. In other words, we believe that uh, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, doesn't just make us right with God, but it also heals and restores our relationships with one another. They flow together. And so I, I want to explore this theme a little more by looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is all about these themes uh, we just heard read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Um, Paul is, as a pastor, writing this letter to a church that is facing division. And they're in great need of help. And so what Paul's trying to do here is to show them how the gospel has the power to unify them and to make them whole as a community. So we'll look at a couple of things in these passages. Uh, first, a potential cause for division and then second, how the gospel overcomes division in our midst and unifies us. Let's pray for the Lord to lead us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for such a wonderful time here this morning together. And we know that among all of the great blessings that we've celebrated, many of which we've given thanks for, we have the blessing of your presence and we have the blessing of your voice. And so, Lord, we ask that that, that as, as I am up here, that my words would do nothing other than to, to lead us faithfully into your written word, and that your written word would then reveal to us your living word, Jesus Christ, that for those of us who know him, we would come to know him more deeply. For those of us here who don't know him or are curious about him, uh, that we would encounter him face to face, just as we've heard testified here uh, a few minutes ago, and that we would be changed by it, that we would become more who you designed us and made us to be. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. So as we look at the beginning opening words of this passage in verse 19, right away you see something is amiss. It says Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, So then 
You are no longer strangers and aliens. So right then, you have two words that imply division. Stranger, alien. You might think illegal immigrant, refugee. People who are here, they're not necessarily welcome. They're suspect. They're outsiders. So we got to ask, what's Paul talking about? The Ephesian church was made up largely of Gentiles. And when we say that word, that essentially means anybody who's not a Jew. It's a, a racial demarcation. And uh, these are Gentiles, they're non-Jews, who had converted to Christianity. They had, they had come and heard the good news about Jesus. They had repented and given their lives to him and been baptized. And uh, this, you would think, would cause a lot of joy, but it actually caused a lot of problems, a lot of unrest. Um, because uh, you see in verses 11 through 18, just before our passage, you see that the Gentiles had for a long time, they had been strangers and aliens. They had been both that to God and to the Jews. So the average Jew, when you thought of a Gentile, that was an unclean outsider. So the question was, if you're a Jew and you had come to faith in Jesus and you sit down to eat in your local church community and all of a sudden across from you, a Gentile sits down who is also a convert to Jesus, what do you do? Because you and your parents and their parents and their parents, for as long as you could remember, would never share a table with such a person. So what do you do? This was a huge issue. For centuries, Gentiles were unclean outsiders. There's a lot of tension over this, as you can imagine. Some of it was theological, but as I want to explore today, a lot of it was sociological. Right? A lot of times, theology can actually be used to justify sociology. And, uh, and this underlying dynamic, even if we can't understand all the cultural stuff, and even as you're thinking Jew, Gentile, I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. There's something underneath that I think we can all deeply understand, something that we will immediately resonate with, and it's sociology, but it's more than that. It's an underlying dynamic that's rooted in sin. So it's not bound by culture, and it exists every much at Church of the Advent, in this church, in every social gathering and group, everywhere, this dynamic exists. It's something that C.S. Lewis termed the inner ring. Uh, in all societies, there are visible hierarchies, right? So churches have visible hierarchies. Uh, the military has a visible hierarchy. Your office, uh, if you work in an office, uh, your factory, the, the, wherever you work, that, that has a visible hierarchy. You know kind of the different positions that people occupy, and those remain relatively static and unchanging. And there's normally a little red book somewhere that you can open up and get a pretty clear sense of it. But then alongside that, there exists a kind of parallel system. It's not written down in any books. It's not really clearly laid out. In fact, a lot of times it's really hard to put your finger on it. But there's another kind of system that's much harder to describe, and it's what Lewis calls the inner ring. And it's defined by one thing, the line between insiders and outsiders. Who's an insider and who's an outsider? And it's this that I believe led people like the Apostle Peter to, for a time, the Apostle Peter to for a time refused to share his table with Gentile converts until he was confronted. I think it was somewhat theological. I think it was also sociological. 
See, as hard as it is to pinpoint, this is something that we've all experienced, and it occurs at every level of society. And most of us have encountered the inner ring when we first became aware that there was a circle of relationships from which we were excluded. And it's normally a crushing realization, but it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a huge event. It could be uh, something as simple as a knowing look passed between two people in your presence. And you're sitting there, and you're all talking, and somebody says something, and all of a sudden, a look is passed, and it didn't include you. And immediately you say, that didn't feel good. And, and you start to wonder, what, 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 are they, what's the, what do I not get? And they get, and, I, and how, were they talking about it earlier, and did I miss it? Or it could be something as small and innocuous as your coworker sharing an inside joke. But, 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 but you don't get the joke. You know, they say something like Stanley, and the other one laughs. And I don't, what do you, Stan, what? And then you feel stupid, and then you feel uh, excluded, and then you feel bad. Oh. Maybe someone you know sends you a text, and you pick it up, and it says, hey, are you coming tonight? And you have no idea what that person is talking about. And so you say, sure, where is it again? Or maybe you see pictures on Facebook and you realize that some of your friends did something really fun last weekend and you weren't included. Why, why not, guys? I, I like to do that too. Why didn't you let me know? Did you not want me to come? You know, for those of us who, who uh, come to church, we don't realize that, that those of you who maybe this is your first time, you walk into a church and immediately you feel like an outsider. No matter how much a church does to try to welcome you, you're going to feel like an outsider. And you feel like as you're sitting there, everybody else knows each other and nobody knows me. And everybody's wondering, what am I doing here? Right? Or you go to a, to a small group. So churches, a lot of churches have small groups and we get together during the week. And I know you guys have some and we have some. And you go and then you have this great small group gathering and maybe dinner and, and do some stuff like that. And then maybe at the end, everybody's kind of breaking up. All right, you know, see you guys next week. And then you realize that three or four people are going to go out for drinks. And then you're like, well, I mean, is this like an official small group thing? Or is this like just kind of your thing? And then like, well, we're in the same small group, but can I go with you? Or is that weird because you didn't invite me and now, oh, now you're just walking out the door and I, it would be, okay, I guess I just won't go. But then you wonder why not? Why didn't they invite me? Do they not want me? Are they going to talk about me? What are they going to say? <laughs> and it starts to needle you. And, and, and if you let it, it starts to take over and your insecurity starts to ramp up. And what you begin to realize, as Lewis says, is that our entire social world is like a giant onion. It's rings within rings within rings within rings within rings. Every church, every office, every school, every friend group, every social gathering has its own rings within rings. And, and, and there are those people who seem to be in the know. There are those people who seem to be the ones who get it. There are those seem to be those people who are, who are kind of on the inside. And you know if you're one of those people or if you're not. And actually, sometimes you think you're one of those people, and then you realize you're not. And you think you're an insider, and then you realize there's more insiders. And I'm outside the insiders, but I'm inside relative to these outsiders. And you begin to realize it's a giant onion. And the thing that defines who's in and who's out isn't always clear. For the Ephesians, it was clear. For the Ephesians, it was race. And sometimes it can be something like race or like gender or like socioeconomic status or like education level. 
Sometimes it is clearer and all of the privileges and access associated with those things, but it's not always that clear. Sometimes it can be among people who are, for all intents and purposes, very much alike, and yet there are some people who are insiders and some people who are outsiders. And here's the point. You would think, well, okay, if we're going to be a real church, we need to abolish the rings. We need to do away with them. And no serious church that believes the gospel would have anything like this. Well, in fact, the direction Lewis goes, and I think the direction Paul goes as he's writing Ephesians, is this. Rings themselves aren't inherently evil. In fact, there are some rings that are necessary and maybe even good. Right? Leadership teams, that's a ring. Right? Working groups, that's a ring. Committees that you may be on at church or at work, those are rings. They need to exist. There need to be decision makers. There need to be people who are set aside to do certain things. You know, your, your friend group is inherently exclusive to some extent. Not everybody can be friends with everybody. It just doesn't work. Your family is a kind of inner ring, and that's a good thing for you to have some exclusivity, for instance, with your spouse. Those are good things. The rings themselves are not evil. They're not inherently bad. The problem isn't the existence of inner rings. The problem is our desire to be inside the ring. That's the source of everything that can break communities down, the source of uh, everything that can break apart churches or workplaces or any other kind of community. And, and it's because that desire can take hold, it can take root, and it can begin to grow in you, and it begin to gnaw away at you, and you wonder, why did they go out, and why didn't they invite me, and what does that mean about our relationship? And it's not the kind of thing you think about at, at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's the kind of thing you think about at 3 o'clock in the morning. When you wake up and you have anxiety and you can't go back to sleep and you're tossing and turning and then all of a sudden that voice begins to speak to you and say, wow, are they even really your friends? If you're on the outside of the inner ring, the desire to be an insider can begin to drive you to get into the next ring and the next ring and the next ring. And you'll begin to try to become whatever you need to become in order to do that. And the warning that Lewis gives, actually, is that you will be willing to compromise more and more and more and more as this desire takes over, right? I remember the first time, conf confessional, Duke, looking for your, you to absolve me here in a minute, uh, but uh, confession, the first time that I remember encountering the inner ring was in fourth grade. I was uh, one of a band of boys in our, um, in our school, and I wasn't one of the cool kids. The cool, there was a really cool kid. Uh, named Travis, and, and there were some kind of an orbit of a boy, uh, sort of cool kid wannabes around him, and I was outside of that orbit, and I wanted to be in that kind of, in, at least in the solar system, and I, uh, and, and I remember that they were all grouping up one time to go do something, and I didn't know what they were going to go do, but they said, hey, Tommy, come along, and just, that's all you need, that's the invitation, it's that subtle, hey, Come along. Oh, my, it, the door's open, inner, inner ring, it's, and I'm going through it, and now I'm in it, and we're going somewhere. Where are we going? We're going to the bathroom. Okay, let's go to the bathroom. We go to the bathroom. We go in. There's another kid, um, Drew, and he's in the bathroom, and I say, hey, Drew's here. What are we doing in the bathroom? Inner ring. And, uh, and, we, and they all grab Drew, and I start to wonder what's happening here, and they grab Drew, and they take him into the, into the stall, and they, 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 everybody's laughing, and it's all fun, and, and everybody's having a good time, except Drew. 
and they put his head down in the toilet and they flush it. And they say, oh, we gave Drew a swirly. And I'm standing here in this group of guys and Drew's crushed and his face is red and he's crying and he runs out. They all laugh. It all disperses. And I, I, I sit there and I, and I think, what just happened? And, and, then, and then a week later, we got called into the principal's office and we got paddled. This is back when we got paddled at school. <laughs> and uh, they actually had to zip my zipper because I had, you know, a zipper. <laughs> this is the 80s. And uh, they, they zipped the zipper over so that it wouldn't leave a welt when the uh, principal took the paddle that had holes in it. Gave me a, but I'll tell you the thing that hurt worse than that. My fourth grade teacher, when everybody else left, asked me to stay. And it was just, just, just Ms. Davis and I sitting there. And she just broke down into tears. And she said, how could you? She said, I, you're not that kind of person. How could you do that? And I remember at that time being aware of the power of the inner ring and what it might lead me to do. And uh, this happens at every level. If you're on the outside, it can easily become your dominant desire to be on the inside. If you're on the inside, in fact, the problem is this, that your desire uh, for the inner ring can lead you to reinforce the boundaries. If you're an insider, why would you reinforce the boundaries and make it hard for other people to get in? Well, supply and demand, basic economics. The harder it is for you to get in, the more valuable my membership. See how it works? So if everybody got in, this wouldn't be an exclusive club. I'd have to go find another ring. So what Lewis says is this, unless you take measures to prevent it, this desire is going to be one of the chief motives of your life. So the desires to be insiders, the desire to be in that inner ring, wherever it is, whatever it is, to be included in whatever local rings exist in your community, that's the root of division. That's, that's a root of snobbery. That's a root of exclusion. It's also the root of racism and all other kinds of things. And unless we do something about it, I think it will dominate us. And so the question is, how can we be liberated from this? How can we overcome this if it really is something that resides in all of us? And I think that this is Paul's answer. I think Paul would say this, the more we understand what Jesus has accomplished for us, the more this desire in us will die. The more we understand the meaning of Jesus' death, the more we will experience the death of this desire. So you can imagine Paul sort of taking these Ephesians, these sort of beleaguered people who say, I'm a Christian, and yet I still feel like a stranger and an alien, and I, I go to church, and I don't even feel welcome in, among my own people. And you can imagine Paul taking them by the shoulders and looking them in the eyes and saying these words. So imagine this text read in that context. Paul saying, let me tell you who you are. Let me remind you of your identity. And he says this, so then you are no longer strangers and exiles. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the one through whom the entire structure is shaped, the one who bears all of the weight. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, Ephesians, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he's giving us these three metaphors. What? Ephesians, through Jesus, you've become citizens. You've become family members. And you've become building blocks in God's temple. These three incredibly rich, deep, powerful images. 
meant to be arrows into their heart to transform their entire sense of identity. So what's he getting at with these images? First of all, he says, listen, you've become citizens in the kingdom of God. There's no longer outsiders and insiders in God's kingdom. You're all citizens. You know, Paul was proud of his Roman citizenship. That was a big deal. If you lived under Roman rule and you weren't a citizen, that was a big deal. But that's nothing compared to this. Paul says, through Jesus, we are all citizens with all of the rights and all of the privileges and all of the benefits that come with that in God's kingdom. We're citizens. There's no inner ring, in other words, when it comes to nationality. But then he goes further, and the next image is much more intimate. He says, you're not only all citizens of God's kingdom, but you're members of God's family. So much more intimate. Jesus came to make you one family, to make us one family. The vision of the Bible, I'm convinced, from Genesis to Revelation, is the formation of one great family. From every tribe, tongue, nation, race, social background, economic status, educational background. All one family. It was so profound that people referred to the Christians as uh, the third race, you know. A new man, a new humanity. So there's no inner ring when it comes to your family or to your race or to your ethnic or cultural identity. You're one new family now. So you see progressively smaller rings. You're, you're citizens, but not just that. You're family. He says, in order to overcome your insecurity and your snobbery and your exclusivity and your division, in order to stamp out this desire to be on the inside of whatever ring your culture values, you have to understand that in Jesus, we're citizens of the same kingdom. More than that, we are members of the same family. But then there's one last piece. It's the key. It's all driving toward this. Not only are you citizens, not only are you family, but you are temple stones. And you say, wait, what? <laughs> that sounds kind of weird. Look at what he says. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God. You're not just citizens, you're not just family members. You're built together into the dwelling place of God Himself, which implies this idea of interpenetration, God dwelling in you, you dwelling in God, God in the midst of the community, the community in the midst of God. There's a sense of the very presence of the divine uh, God himself in you, among you, with you, around you. So what's he saying here? He says, don't you see? Don't you see what Jesus has done for you? Because of Jesus, what? You have access to the ultimate inner ring. The ultimate inner ring. Jesus has brought you into the inner ring of citizenship. More than that, he's brought you into the inner ring of family. But even more than that, he has brought you into the ultimate inner ring of the Trinity. The ultimate inner ring. When we talk about God, we're talking about the ultimate inner ring. We're talking about this perfect communion, this perfect relationship between three persons, this ring of love and fellowship that has existed for all eternity. And what the Bible tells us is that we were actually made to be a part of that ultimate inner ring. We were created to share that relationship, to be insiders within the Trinity itself. But then we rebelled against God, and so because of that, because we preferred the 
uh, life of trying to be a god, we were cast out. And what the Bible says is we spend our whole lives trying to get back there, trying to get back in. So we end up relying on substitutes, false trinities. I personally believe when I look at my own life, when I look at like the things that I've done, one story of which I've shared with you, grab a beer with me and I'll share more. I think that I am motivated, I believe that we're all motivated ultimately by the good desire to be in fellowship with a Trinitarian God, but I believe that that desire has been twisted. And I believe that a life of subsisting on false trinities, we can become so numb to that need that we forget it altogether. But I think that we will never be satisfied and we will always, we will always endeavor to peel the next onion layer back unless we find what we were made to have, which is a relationship with the real, true inner ring, God himself. And so that's the good news of the gospel. It's simply this, that Jesus Christ was the ultimate insider. And yet, because of his love for you and for me, he left, he gave that up, he came here, he became cast out. And ultimately, on the cross, you see the, the great pain of the cross is not just the physical suffering, it's the father turning his back on his son. At that point, Jesus, knowing he's been cast into the outer darkness, but doing that so that by forgiving us, we could be welcomed all the way in. Not conditionally, not like the Jews had to do with the, the kind of sort of holy and the holy and the holy of holies and the degrees, the rings and rings and rings around which their society was built, but all the way into the holy of holies, to the inner ring. And the reason is that that's what we were made for and that's why God created us. And in his love, he enables us to come back to himself, to become ultimate insiders. So here's the point that I want to leave you with and encourage you with. Um, I think the more that this story, the story of the gospel, the more that that becomes the story that defines us as individuals, that defines us as communities, that defines us as friends and as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and wives and husbands, the more that this defines us and our relationships, I believe the less we will have a desire for false trinities and the more we'll be able to see through the illusion and realize there's nothing there. So if you find yourself on the outside looking in, the only thing that will extinguish the insecurity that that raises in you is the gospel. To remind yourself, I'm the ultimate insider in the only ring that matters the source of love and life itself. Why do I need this illusion? I don't. And it will snuff it out. If you find yourself on the inside of the any inner ring, I believe that the gospel will free you from the need to shut other people out. You know, it's interesting. You can meet some people who are, relatively speaking, pretty unimportant, but they will go to every length to convince you that they are very important, that their time is very valuable that they just have a minute to talk to you, but, you know, they're really here for this other thing, right? <laughs> I'm not going to give any examples. I'm just, 
<laughs> Stick to the script. Um, and then there are those people who may be quite important, who may actually be very elite, who may be very accomplished, whose time may be very valuable, and yet you meet them and they have this kind of warmth and magnanimity, and you know who I'm talking about. You know those people, and you can't believe that they would even talk to you because they've got so much going on, and yet when you're with them, when they turn and they look at you and they say hello to you, you feel a warmth in them and an openness, and you feel like uh, there is no barrier between you, and you feel embraced by them. Even if it's just a momentary uh, hello in passing, you feel that for that moment, you matter to them. And I believe that that warmth and magnanimity, that that charity of spirit comes out of this. It comes out of the profound security of knowing that you have a secure relationship with God. They make you feel welcome and included. So people like this, people who are rooted in this gospel identity of, of the Trinity, they don't, they don't build walls. That's what insecure people do. They demolish them. They demolish barriers. They demolish rings. And I think that this is the source of what Christians call charity in the fullest sense of the word. I believe it's the root of true hospitality. Because guess what? Hospitality is the polar opposite of the inner ring dynamic. It's the antithesis of it. Welcoming somebody in and making them feel like family. It's the opposite. So this is my prayer for you. i got to wrap up. we got to move on here. But this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for me, my own heart, for our church, uh, that God would continue this amazing work that he has begun in you, and that he would do that in part by embedding deeper and deeper and deeper in this community that truth that unites us, that would enable you to welcome all who come here the same way that Jesus Christ has welcomed us to himself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit, that which is from you would take root in our hearts, that this community, Lord, would continue to be the kind of community it so obviously is, a community that welcomes all, that embraces all, a community that, that is a family for all who, uh, who need a place to come. And I pray that every single man, woman, and child who crosses the threshold of this community, whether in a living room or in this building, that they would be fully welcomed, fully embraced, fully loved for your name and your glory's sake. Amen.